When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu new dealer today. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show this wet and windy Tuesday in Perth. We're out here at Optus Stadium. The rain has been coming in sideways. There's big puddles of water everywhere. People are still walking around out in it, but it's going to be a pretty bleak winter's day in Perth, I think, and yesterday was too. Pretty bloody cold over here. All right, big show today. Our normal Tuesday lineup. we're going to talk to Gavin Bell, the general manager of footy ops at West Coast very shortly, about their much better performance against St Kilda on the weekend and also the upcoming game against Brisbane. We will dissect Fremantle's 29-point loss to the Western Bulldogs with Paul Hazelby. He will be in the studio with me. Chewing through that one, have the Dockers simply found their level, is Nathan Fife's career in a lot of trouble, given the revelation that he now has a stress fracture in that left foot. And we'll also touch base with West Coast great Josh Kennedy later in the show. Of course, uh, Josh, I suspect, will be a fair bit happier than he has been for most of the year, talking about how the Eagles have been going. Going to ask him all the question as well. Was the Johnny Bairstow stumping fair or unfair? Let's get the views of our legends on the show. But first, thanks to Isuzu Utes, you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Here's a few thoughts to four-wheel drive you to work on Nathan Fife. He's been one of Fremantle's all-time greats, maybe the all-time great of the club. Matthew Pavlich and David Mundy were truly great players and had longer careers, but only one West Australian ever has won two Brownlow medals, and that is Nathan Fife. At the height of his powers in 2014 and 2015, and again in 2019, he was the competition's best player. Only Dustin Martin has been more likely to win a one-on-one over the duration of Fife's career. I'm not sure there has ever been a midfielder who played with more authority in the air. Paddy Dangerfield maybe, but not definitely. But now, Fife is compromised by a body that has borne the effects of 218 games of contested football and the bumps and bruises that come with it. More than half of Fife's possessions over those 218 games have been won in contest. The stress fracture in his left foot, found by scans, won't necessarily finish his career. They may not even finish his season. The Dockers plan to deload him and then see if they can get him going again. But the days of Fife being able to carry injuries and profoundly influence the outcome of games are gone. And he's done that in the past. If we remember back to his two Brownlow years in 2015 and 2019, at the back end of 2015, he carried a hot spot in his leg that eventually became a fracture. And in 2019, he carried a significant shoulder injury. He powered on in both those seasons to win Brownlow medals. He can't do it anymore. 
he has to be fully fit or he doesn't belong at the top level anymore. And the inevitable question that follows that is, will Nathan Fife ever be fully fit again? Fife now has two years of contract to run from the end of this season. A contract lowered to less than $400,000 to enable the club to extend him out beyond this season. But that contract is starting to look like a leap of too much faith in a damaged body now. Shoulder, back and hamstring issues restricted five to just seven games last year. The worry is that any one of those issues by themselves have the potential to be career-threatening, the shoulder in particular. And now he has a foot problem. The foot carries all of your body weight. It's not a great place for a footballer to have a fracture at 31. He's played nine games this year, including eight in a row up to Saturday. At his best, he's been useful. In the two games, he has played clearly less than fully fit. In round one against St Kilda and on Saturday against the Western Bulldogs, he looks like he struggles to still belong at the level. Now, what does it mean for Fremantle? It means the Dockers have to move now to expand a midfield rotation that get caught at least one and probably two big bodies short and more than a few games of experience light when the game against the Western Bulldogs went on the line in the last quarter at Marvel Stadium on Saturday. The best stoppage players Luke Beveridge had at his disposal went into the centre square after Fremantle had hit the front in the final term. With Fife on the bench and backup ruckman Luke Jackson not rucking, probably sore, I'm guessing, with Sean Darcy, Andy Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong needing rests, the Dockers got stuck with Matt Johnson and Neil Erasmus in the middle at the wrong time. It was literally the Freo Pups versus the Big Dogs. And the game was decided in a matter of a few minutes and a few centre clearances. Erasmus and Johnson have to keep playing now. The Dockers are a long shot to make this year's finals, needing to win six of their last eight. It's time to shorten the odds for next season. Get games into the 19-year-old Erasmus and the 20-year-old Johnson who represent the club's next generation of big-bodied mids. What has happened to the Dockers in 2023? Clearly, the loss of Roy Lobb represents the loss of their 2022 leading goal uh, goal kicker, but he's been replaced by Jaya Miss, who is on target to kick more goals this year than Lobb kicked last year. Blake Akers was good on a wing, but Liam Henry has been good there in the last three weeks, and others have been serviceable in the weeks before that. Griffin Logue was Fremantle's everywhere man, but they have Luke Jackson, their everywhere ruckman. The miscalculation Freo probably made that will affect them in the short term is that they believe Jager O'Meara would be an ideal replacement for David Mundy and instead O'Meara became the replacement for Will Brody. So instead of breaking even out of Mundy's retirement, the Dockers have lost. Brody is playing in the waffle and there's no real evidence that he and O'Meara can coexist in the same midfield. Brody played five games at the start of the season with O'Meara. The Dockers won one of them and lost four. It'll be interesting to see how the Dockers selectors view Brody with Fife absent now. Frio missed Mundy's poise with the ball and his laser-like kicking inside attacking 50. Jai Amos has kicked 29 goals this year. I wonder what he might have kicked leading to Mundy's right foot. None of that means the Dockers were wrong to press Mundy into retirement. He was 37 and defending the ground was becoming difficult with him in the midfield last year. It might have been even more difficult this year. But it does mean the Dockers have been caught in between midfield generations and 
sometimes with a mid middleweight midfield going against heavyweights. That's what happened when the game went on the line on Saturday. Fife's inability to completely reassert himself has been part of the problem. It is part of what makes Sean Darcy so vital to Fremantle. He adds bulk and muscle that they otherwise lack. It's time for the Dockers to bridge the generation gap, both in terms of size and experience in their engine room. Sarong is a brilliant player. He's as hard as a cat's head, but he's 178 centimetres and 83 kilograms. Brayshaw and O'Meara are both 184 centimetres. Matt Johnson is 193 centimetres and will eventually grow into a frame somewhere north of 90 kilograms. Erasmus is 190 centimetres. Again, he will eventually tip the scales around the 90 kilo mark. They have played 11 games each. They are 19 and 20 years old, respectively. How will the Dockers approach the back end of the season now? They would have expected finals and it looks highly unlikely mathematically possible, but the body of work we've seen so far does not suggest they get there. It's disappointing, but it also represents opportunity, a free swing at two months of player development ahead of 2024. What would you do in Frio's shoes? You can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 or on the open line 1312. 55. As I mentioned at the top of the show, big show for you today. Tuesday regulars Josh Kennedy and Paul Hazelby join us to dissect the performances of their former teams. But after the break, we'll be talking to another regular West Coast footy operations boss, Gavin Bell, after their vastly improved effort against the Kilda on Sunday with a massive challenge coming up against Brisbane this weekend at the Gabatoire. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Joining the show, have your say on the temperate bedshed text line. Give us a call or just listen in. We'll be back after the break. Cripps comes in. Drop punt on its way. And he just misses. So the Eagles will go down by eight points in this game. A very creditable effort after the disaster of last weekend. 12-5-77 to 12-13-85. Get ready. There's a full-time siren. The Saints win. Welcome back to the show. And uh, we talk to this bloke every second Tuesday, and I'm tipping he's happier today than he has been for most of the year. I know that West Coast didn't get the win, but their general manager of footy, Gavin Bell, would have been far more pleased with the output and the effort the team put in. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Duff, for having me. Mate, I'm going to ask everyone on the show this question this morning, and it's the big question. Was the Bearstow stumping fair or unfair? <laughs> uh, I'll leave it with the umpires, mate. The umpires gave him out, so that's all I can say. I don't know, mate. I'm, not, I'm no cricket expert, that's for sure. That's the right answer, mate. Within the rules, within the spirit of the game. That's all there is to it. That's the way we play it here in Australia. Okay, so no win on the weekend, but um, a much stronger performance. What did you make of it? Yeah, really pleased with the the performance um, in many aspects, Duff. Um, Disappointed not to get the win. We We set ourselves up to win the game of footy during the course of it, but um, we weren't able to, to close it out. So that was uh, that was disappointing in that aspect. But 
I think what we saw was um, what our planning had been from the summer, basically, with having some good, strong senior players in the team to help guide um, and, and lead our young and exciting crop coming through. And we saw a better synergy in that mix this week. Um, we also saw far greater effort from, from all those involved from, from the week before. So there were some positives there. Um, but at the same time, mate, we, we wanted to win. We're desperate to get another win on the board. And, um, yeah, we, we failed to do so. Did they run out of puff a bit, Gavin, in the second half? It looked like, yeah, statistically anyway, your young players all pretty much faded. Uh, possibly, Duff, but I think they uh, I think they gave such great effort early, um, led by our, our captain and Jamie Cripps with the amount of pressure and physicality that they put on. Um, and our kids, our kids were up for it. They brought great energy. Um, whether they whether we ran out of puff, whether St Kilda just crunched us down and made it really difficult for us to continue doing what we're doing or what we were doing. Sorry. Um, you know, I think all those are factors within it. But, um, yeah, a, a much greater effort. And uh, we, we expect to be able to do the same this week against Brisbane, bring the same intensity and the same effort up at the Gabba. So tell us about the significance of Jamie Cripps' return. Obviously, one of your, your best gut runners uh, and a bloke that gives you, uh, I guess, great attacking coverage, but also good defensive coverage as well. Yeah, I mean, Cripper internally is, is really highly valued um, about what he brings to the team on game day and during the week. He's an absolute pro in the way he goes about his work. Uh, he's set himself up with a fantastic summer this this uh, preseason just gone and unfortunately suffered that injury against Fremantle. But he's just got to work with his rehab. Uh, the way he goes about it is, is second to none. And you're right, he's an unbelievable gut runner, Duff. And, for those that, uh, of our fans that get to the game, uh, you'll see the work that he does off the ball. For those that just look at the stat sheets, they think, oh, well, you know, he's a 10 to 12 position player, but uh, he does an enormous amount of work for us with the ball, off the ball and defensively. Every club has underrated players because there are players that those outside the four walls don't fully appreciate. Is he your most underrated player? Um. That's a good question, mate. I mean, I don't know where he'd sit in that, but I, I think I think probably the flip side of that is how highly we regard him internally and those that have been at our club that are at other clubs, um, how they view Jamie Cripps and what he, what he does. Um, yeah, he, he's a fantastic player and, um, and a good, strong leader through his actions, which is um, the most important type of leadership and certainly the leadership we need right now. So you got one senior player back last week you're closing in on another senior player return this week. Where is Jeremy McGovern at and what does he need to do between now and the weekend to play? Yeah, primarily just uh, main training, Duff. Um, you're really hopeful that, that Gov gets up. Um, again, he's another really important player for us. So, um, yeah, he, he will be an important inclusion. We've just uh, got training today and tomorrow. So, yeah, that'll be the big test. And then we have um, our medical meeting post that. So, yeah, fingers crossed that Gov will be back out there. Uh, Shannon Hearn talked about not trying to solve every problem, just trying to solve a few problems. Did did Adam sort of simplify things a little bit for your players on the weekend and, and, and boil it down to a few things that you could get better at? Yeah, the message wasn't too differently, too different dust from the weeks before in terms of the things that we've been going after. And, and you and I have talked about this since um, since the summer, mate, about our contest and our ability to transition. 
So that was certainly there. Um, Shannon's uh, one of Shannon's greatest strengths is he knows the things that, um, about football and that he he needs to bring to keep the game simple. He knows what uh, winning football is about, so he's able to strip back all the other noise around, whether it's internal or external, and just focus in on on what he what he brings and. Uh, a great example of that was um, by far the best contested ball I saw us take on the weekend was was his on the far side, driving his legs, hitting hard and low through through the pressure. And um, that's what our team needs and that's what he's brought for over 300 games. Yes, he made the St Kilda players around him consider their position, Gavin, and they considered that their position was better not in his way, I think, when he went hard at that one. Um, Shannon and Luke Shuey, obviously you've got you've got big list management calls to make at the end of the year. When you see them play like that, how does that influence your call on them come the end of the season? Uh, well, I mean, I guess starting starting with Luke, I think what we saw on the weekend, what we've seen in the games he played, the game actually suits Luke Shuey's strength that he's had um, his entire career, his ability to burst away. Um, break tackles, apply pressure. His work at clearance is, is um, or at stoppage, sorry, is, is second to none. So it'll be a decision based on um, how can he, if he can sustain that, how his body goes. Is he up for it again? I'm sure he is, which he, um, I'm confident that he is. So he'll be um, a decision towards the back end of the year. Um, but uh, you know, if he brings what he bought on on Sunday. That's what the game requires, and that's what he has in spades. And and Bung will be very much the same. It's uh, how does he pull up? How does he manage his body? Can he play week in, week out with um, and be managed in the right way that he can still perform like he did? So on Sunday, so all those parts will come into it. Great players, great leaders. Our kids, our kids need that sort of leadership and that sort of drive. So um, yeah, we'll make a balanced decision at the end of the year. We're taking all those factors into account. It's a tough call, isn't it? Because we saw on Sunday how well they can play. It's almost how well they can recover to get up and play that way again. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair call, Duff, um, for sure. So I think it's a, how do we how do we get them to those positions that they can do that? And that's our challenge for the entire group. You know, how do we perform like we did on Saturday, Sunday? Sorry. Uh, recover well so we can train strongly and then perform again. That's that's our challenge. That we um, that won't be a quick fix. That's going to take a little bit of time as we work our way through the injuries that we've had and the lack of continuity that our players have had. So um, yeah, that's part of our planning and, and work that we're going to be doing to uh, improve as the season goes on and also heading into next year. Jack Darling looked like he tweaked his shoulder and was subbed out. How is he in terms of playing in Brisbane? Yeah, he's a little bit sore as of yesterday, Duff, as you'd expect. Um, again, he, he's proven himself to be a real pro with um, his rehab and and um, looking after any sore spots. So we'll know a little bit more probably Wednesday afternoon once we've had main training and gone through everything. But, um, yeah, we'd give Jack every chance to play and we'll just see where he's at um, getting closer to our flight to Brisbane. Would you give him even money or do you think he's slightly less or more than that? Uh, well, he's only had the uh, doctor's check-in yesterday, which is all sort of part of what our normal process is. I haven't had a formal update yet, but I think the fact that he was in there, uh, had a good conversation with the doc, um, yeah, it'll be a – I'm not sure, actually. I couldn't really give it a rating at this stage. We haven't had a proper meeting about it. Fair enough. Tim Kelly had the flu. You expect him to be available? Yes, I'd hope so, Duff. It was a 
slightly disappointing phone call, to say the least, to get on Sunday morning that he was unavailable and, and unwell. Um, he's an important player for us, gives us great drive. and um, So, yeah, it was it was just an illness at this stage. Um, so, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll see him today or in the next day and be ready to go and, and take on the Lions with him back in the team. Now, I'm sure your recruiters went to the Wacker on Friday night and I'm sure they saw Harley Reid and I'm sure they saw Daniel Curtin, Riley Hardiman and Clay Hall as well. How big a decision, and this is obviously making assumptions here, that you will still have the number one pick uh, indicatively by the end of the season, but how big a decision is that going to be when you, you weigh up one outstanding young player against two or three very, very good young uh, West Australians and possibly um, a couple of others from around the country you might be able to get for the price of one. Yeah, we all went along and had a look on um, Friday night, which was um, which was great. Jeez, it was a good game of footy, Duff. The, um, the WA boys really held strong. They were under a lot of pressure during the second quarter and they were, they managed to um, withhold that and then and get themselves right back into the game. So it was an exciting match to watch of good quality. Um, yeah, lots of great talent on display from both teams, WA and Big Country. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of decisions to make and what are we going to do? Well, it really depends upon, yeah, like you said, mate, where do we finish uh, at the end of the season and, you know, what do we, what are we going to do and what offers do we have? And there's lots of different things for us to weigh up. But um, certainly some exciting, exciting kids around. Looking forward to getting down to... St Kilda this Sunday and having a look at a couple of games down there too with um, the next round of, of state champs. But um, some good kids and, and it was really great to see the WA boys hang in there and, and almost pinch it at the end. Is Harley Reid as good as they say, Gavin, from what you saw? He's being talked about as a generational talent, which is often uh, a term used to describe the, um, the, the prospective number one draft pick. But it sounds like this kid's a bit different. How impressed were you? I've seen him play live, so I'm probably not the best person to comment on on those kind of claims. Um, he's clearly got he's clearly got talent. Um, he's got power. So yeah, he was um, he did some some really good things on Friday night. But as did those other boys that you talked about too, Duff. I mean, um, there was some there was some exciting football played and some exciting players out there. So. Um, yeah, mate, I, I'm the wrong person to, to state claims of where he sits in in, in, uh, in that sort of talent pool, but I do know that he was um, he, he did some really nice things on Friday night. So you'll be like uh, Ross Lyon, where you, you let the cobblers do the cobblering come the end of the season? Well, I, I, I think that's the best way, Duff, because um, if I was to roll in there, watch one game and start staking claims of who we're taking and so on, uh, that, that's not my role. Uh, my, my role, like we say with our players, play a role. So my role is to make sure we've got um, a good system in place to try and make really good decisions that's going to benefit our football club as we walk, as we move forward. So, um, yeah, definitely the guys that have watched um, all of those young men we talked about for a number of years, know them, know them in great detail, and we're able to make informed decisions um, come that time in, in October when we start to get ready for the draft properly. West Coast General Manager of Footy, Gavin Bell, always joins us uh, on Tuesdays on the show. Gavin, thanks so much and uh, wish you all the best in Brisbane this weekend. Yeah, thank you, Duff. Have a good day. Gavin Bell, what do you think? You can have your say on the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. We'll take a break. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. 
Welcome back to the show. After the break, we're going to be talking to Paul Hazelby, Fremantle legend. He's going to dissect Fremantle's 29-point loss to the Western Bulldogs on the weekend. What do you think about what Gavin had to say? Got a lot of texts coming through, which we'll get to. We couldn't actually slot them into the interview with uh, with Gavin. We didn't have time, but uh, uh, I'll try and answer them as best you can. Questions coming through on the West Coast Eagles. That is on the Temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. But we'll take a break and we'll be back with Paul Hazelby after the break. Green has to go down. Later for the West Coast Eagles. It's not the only time Paul Hazelby deflated the West Coast Eagles. He deflated them about 40 seconds from the end in the 2006 Derby, which I still think is the best Derby ever played. We've got that on repeat uh, on the run home, which you can listen to a bit later. <laughs> just when people do something special in sport, I'd just like to remind myself of that. So Paul Hazelby, of course, is one half of the run home with Hayes and Mato. You can hear that on SENWA at 3 p.m. weekdays. And to help drive you on the run home, thanks to the Isuzu D-Max, and you can live your own way with the Isuzu D-Max. Hayes, you're joining us in the studio. We are going to talk about Freo and the 29-point loss to the dogs. But first, I'm asking everyone this question today. It's the big topic because the Poms are whinging like there's no tomorrow. Was the Bearstow stumping fair or unfair? Well, we've heard this spirit of cricket comment thrown out there. Now, spirit of cricket, does that mean every time you edge it, you should walk like Adam Gilchrist does. I don't see many players do that. Like, if you're playing by the spirit of the cricket, that's what you should do every time. It's an absolute nonsense. Yeah. And uh, Bairstow was out, play by the rules. And I think it's got to a stage where you just let the umpires do their thing and they did their thing and he's out. That's exactly right. It's professional sport. Um, the rules are there. The umpires enforce the rules. The umpires decide whether he's out or not. I think that's pretty... It's pretty simple. Can't yeah. call and decide when you're going to abide by this spirit of rules comment. Oh, you can if you're English. You are you are the people who set the rules and you decide when mm. and when it's not fair play. Yeah, Mitch Stark's catch, spirit of cricket, that was out. I reckon... Against I re- the rules, it wasn't out. <laughs> exactly. And no one said Duckett should uh, uh, keep walking. Um, I reckon what they should do when they come out here, given that our players have to walk through the long room at the MCC... Let's get him to walk through Bay 13 <laughs> at the MCG <laughs> on and off the ground. Let's see how that goes. Let's see Let's see how Stuart Broad cops. Uh, oh, I don't think Stuart with... Broad will be coming to the next dashes down here. <laughs> They're a bit old, aren't they? Fragile. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to Frio. Uh, have they just found their 2023 level and it's just not top eight? I think they have. When you look at the matchup against the Western Bulldogs, who are entrenched inside the top eight, going pretty well, the expectation for me was they go over there and they give them a good challenge and they frighten them at some stage and maybe edge in front. But I didn't have them for the win, and that's exactly what happened. And it's very similar to what we've seen from Fremantle all year. Start slowly again, be a bit more aggressive, play catch-up, dominate for two and three quarters, but then lose momentum at the at the wrong time. And they just don't capitalise, I guess, on some of that momentum, but the starts are becoming an issue. They are just – it's almost like they're just waiting and seeing what they're going to get given by the opposition rather than actually taking the game on early and try and dictate. Because once they get in front, Frio, they're a very hard team to chase down because they do play pretty smart tactical footy. They know how to maintain possession at the right time and work 
work their way through the defence that the opposition gives them. But they're always chasing, and that becomes an issue. Is Nathan Fife nearly done now? Well, he wasn't playing that well, was he? Now, how much of that game contributed from his injury? I'm not quite sure, but he just looked out of place. He's been caught a fair bit lately. And even when ball is in hand, he's not the same Nathan Fife that we know, love and remember. Look, maybe just just forget this year. You've got between now and round one to get yourself fully ready for next season. And if he has to do a slightly different training than everybody else, he does that, come back a little bit fitter, give himself one last crack to get set up properly for next year where he's not chasing the tail. But I think they'll be okay without him. And I I said it yesterday on my show, the two-year contract right now just looks silly. Like, what yeah. was the rush on that? I do not understand. On one hand, you've got these clubs that come out and say, you know, the power, the players have got all the power in the competition right now and they want to take some power back. Well, here was a chance to take some power back. Just use your weeks, use the rest of the season, make an informed decision. And in that time, if the player, in this case it's Nathan Fife, wanted to seek assurance elsewhere and get a contract, well, so be it. Be happy for him to walk. It's not going to be the be-all be and end-all if Nathan Fife walked and if he's injured because they've got enough coverage players coming in. Like, you wouldn't say right now he's inside the most important 15 for Frio, would you? No, you wouldn't. It, does this become a business decision? Like, I'm fascinated by this and I don't fully understand it. But you're looking at West Coast with Nat Nui, same sort of thing. Is it a business decision? Is it a brand issue? We're worried about our brand if this guy goes and joins another club. It doesn't damage the brand whatsoever, though, really. Like, you look at all those champions that left Geelong, that left Hawthorne, that went to other clubs. Does it tarnish what they achieved at their their first club? It doesn't. And in the end, you're not saying no to them. You're just saying no right now. Let's get to the end of the season and... I think as a club, if you can say to, to yourself and your supporters, we offered Nathan Fife a one-year deal at the end of the season. He didn't take it. Well, I think they all understand and move on and know the club did what they needed to do. But the business of footy is winning and being smart. Like the money that you could use, let's say for Nat Nui right now, call it 600000 like that could be valuable right now. You don't hear about West Coast chasing any free agents. Yep. Why? Because they have no money to do so. If they had better list management, they could have a million dollars free that they could probably cover two years of a free agent's contract, potentially, and put themselves in a really good position. And that for Fremantle, when you offer two years to those sort of players that are getting towards the end, if they lose this year and don't play finals, they lose next year and don't play finals, where's the money coming from? Where's the lever coming from to actually make the next move that might be the catalyst to get into the finals? I reckon there are a couple of midfield rotations short, and I reckon there are a couple of big-bodied mids short. Uh, Erasmus and Johnson, those players, and what do you do with them in the back half of the year? Throw in Will Brody. So last year, he was really good. I know Justin's probably been a bit reluctant this year to put him in because you've got Jager O'Meara, but that was the issue with bringing in Jager O'Meara and losing David Mundy. Jager came in, but you lost Mundy, but you also lost Will Brody, who did really well in their... Their best and fairest last year is a real surprise revelation type of player. So I think it's almost time to give him another chance to go back through there because they just look like they lack another class, not class player, but one that can be consistent every yep. single week on rotation. Erasmus and also Johnson. But the, the thing they've got is they've got so many of the similar type on the inside. Who's the player that can be on the outside? 
The big surprise has been Liam Henry again. The possession rate, fantastic, which is great because I think when you have Liam Henry getting 32, we know he's going to turn a couple over, and he did, and there was probably a couple of poor efforts. But if you have 32, then your net result on the game is still 28, 29. Yeah. If you're having 15 and you're doing those sort of things, then it becomes hard to wear. So they're building... Some midfield depth there, but you're right. With Fife out, they now get another chance to really expose another player with a bit more midfield time around the centre bounce. Henry's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there were a couple of bad moments, but what I'm liking about Henry's game is where he's running Mm. and what that means for the team. He's getting back, he's helping out, he's becoming an outlet. And you know the other thing he does, Hayes? He's prepared to look inside and if it's there, have a crack. Now, if you're going to do that, you are going to butcher a couple and you are going to but the the net result the other way might actually be important. And generally speaking, he's a pretty good kick. So if anyone's going to be biting that off and taking that on, he's as good as anyone. So You've got to give licence to one or two players in your team to be able to do that. And Fremantle, I think, need more of that. On the weekend, there's so many times around stoppage, whether it was from the back half, they got into a really good position in the corridor but then instead of taking the ball and going straight forward, they would handball wider. They would go back. And they had 410 disposals on the weekend, mm. which is evidence of this. So they would handball, invite pressure. The Bulldogs were there. Then they'd handball again. Then they'd handball again. And before they knew it, they weren't in that attacking position that they first were from the first handball. So I think it's just this philosophy that they've just got to go a little bit more. When you sniff a chance that you're out, you have to go. And don't be afraid just to kick it in. Let those forwards do their thing. Jackson one-on-one, Tracy one-on-one, and also Joy Amos one-on-one. That's all they want. And the small forwards, that's all they want, whether they mark the ball or it comes to ground. Walters, Schultz, Switkowski, they just want to beat the opposition defence back. So I just feel that lack of the attacking flair from the back half also applies through the midfield when they do get into good positions. We can only assume that Luke Jackson was injured on the weekend and that's why Josh Tracy mm. was the one at the centre bounces in that last quarter. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm led to believe that. He, he played like a guy that wasn't 100% right. On the back of what we've seen the last six weeks, there was a real improvement. Um, the other argument is they're trying to really shore up the forward line and they've come to the conclusion that they need three in there, that that works best. But I think Jackson is a player that needs to go into the ruck. His best work is in the ruck when he can actually get some cheaper possessions, some really good explosive stuff from the stoppage and get involved that way. It's difficult sometimes for key forwards if they just stay in those positions, particularly when you don't have the key forward mindset and skill set of some of the other ones that uh, do so well in those positions. So what you're saying is getting up the ground gets him involved in the game, gets him up and about, and then he's probably more likely to impact when he gets forward again. And gets separation from your defender. So if you're just playing as a forward, you've got one player on you for the whole game. If you go up into the ruck, you can actually explode forward and you've got no man. You go, we got to do, beat is Tim English, who's buggered. He's been running and and that's where you can start to have an impact on the game and he, he needs that in his game. How's their midfield going? They, they got smashed in the end, but overall, how did you see the performance? They're so reliant on clearance contested possession. If they do well in those stats, they win the game. The numbers show that this year. It's all about field position. But they've got to find a second way that if it doesn't go right for you on the inside with those stats, how can you actually be a, I guess, a counteracting team 
You're on the back foot. You're in your back half. How can you move it from there and still score? And how many times do you go to the footy and you've you've had one team that's had the ball inside 58 times early in the quarter and then all of a sudden the team goes from the back half to the front half and they score and they kick the goal. They need to be better at counter-punching and also hurting on turnover. I just think right now everything relies on clearance. Everything relies on getting the ball in their front half and setting up really well defensively and trying to get some forward half turnovers. If they don't get on their terms, then I think that's what we're seeing. They're becoming vulnerable. There's no second option to go to that can actually get them back into the contest and maybe ahead of the game. We talked about the Nathan Five contract, but the the Sonny Walters contract is actually looking not too bad at the moment. Geez, he was good on the weekend. Yeah, it does look good. But um, again, why can't you just give him that one? Yeah, two and years. And see, see how he goes. Because, you know, there's been times over the last two years yep. we've probably all sat back here and gone, geez, he's looking like he's, he's nearly gone. It doesn't take much from an injury point of view. Um, for that to happen. But, gee, he has been really good. It's great to see. He's just got his energy, his life, his spark back, and he's finishing well. And it might be important the way that he finishes, the way that Jai Amos finished. They don't need too many chances to actually kick goals. And you you, you take it back a couple of years when you you had your Matt Tabernas, who probably needed a few more to have that sort of impact on the scoreboard. Yeah, Sun Sun needs a meter, doesn't he? But if you give him a meter, he's better with that meter than almost any mm. player in the competition. He's twofold. He can kick the goals and he can also set them up. He's just such yeah. a smart player. Um, just got to get the ball through him. And I think they're getting better at that as well. Let's talk about your favourite, Jai Amos. He's tracking. We're doing the updated math here. He's tracking towards 45 goals now. You said 40. Mind you, you did say that to get him in the eight and uh, and have them contending. That's not going to happen, I don't think. But um, he's going really well, isn't he? He is flying. And we're still not seeing the best of him. We're still not seeing the contested marking side. And I think a little bit because of the ball movement, we're still not seeing the smart leading player that can get five metres on his opponent. What we're actually seeing is ground ball stuff at the moment. When he gets everything uh, in his favour, he's going to regularly be kicking four, five and six goals. And it amazes me that, you know, you still got the Eastern State Spice. If he was in Victoria right now, they would be singing the praises of Jai Amos. They would be going gaga on what he's put up. Those numbers are extraordinary. That puts him, I think, when I looked across the weekend, 13 or 14 in the Coleman medal. That's where he sits right now. And I think it's 13th now. Yeah. If he gets to 45, 50 goals, he just has to win the rising star, doesn't he? Based on what we all love and value in footy, goals, plus also youngsters that have played three games prior to this, coming into the season, skinny, raw, and having this sort of impact. It's been an amazing season. Yeah, I really like Owens from St Kilda, and we saw him have big impact in the game against St Kilda here on the weekend. I really like him. but But I do think those two, given that they're what, given what they're doing, I tend to think that puts them in front of the others. I mean, anyone can run around as a midfielder and get 22 if the role's right for you now. And she's always running around getting 27, but he's also probably getting five kick-ins a game as well in the back half and chip, chip, chip. We know that uh, a lot of defenders are getting those sort of numbers these days. And Ashcroft is playing in a midfield that has Dunkley and Mm. Neil and Berry. There's a lot of big-bodied McCluggage you know, big body, mature mids around him. I mean, he's a good player, Will Ashcroft, and he's had good moments in games. But uh, impact on games, I think it's hard to go past the two boys that are playing forward, Owens and uh, and Amos. Do they need another one down there? Like, if you're the list managers of the Fremantle Dockers, would you be having a crack at a player at the end of this season to bring in to just shore up that forward line? I'd be more inclined to look for the dynamic big-bodied mid 
Hayes. And and the reason I say that, like you've talked a few times about how they come out and the other team throws a punch and then they react. Someone, uh, that alpha dog in the midfield that goes in for the first bounce and just does what Fife used to do, you know, does what Petrarca and Oliver do for Melbourne, does what um, Ollie Wines would once do for Port Adelaide, that, that someone like Butters, mm. even though Butters is not big body, has that diamond dynamism around them. They're, they're early picks though, aren't they? Yeah. You were talking about your Harley Reeds, yeah. Daniel Curtins. Yeah. With Fremantle giving away their first pick this year to Melbourne, it becomes difficult to find that sort of player, doesn't it? Well, let's talk about list management then. What have they got a lot of that they might be able to give that gets them further up the draft picking order? Let's say, okay, let's. Liam Henry is out of contract, hasn't yep. signed yet. Um, he's under a manager that has a habit of moving players uh, for for more money. Well, given Liam Henry's last three weeks, what is Liam Henry worth on the market now? Twenty-one year old has just found his feet in the AFL. Top ten draft pick. Yeah, I would pay him three years at at four to five hundred. That's no, what he's I'm, worth. What's the draft pick worth? The draft pick for Liam Henry right now. Is it in the teens? It's, it's just outside the teens. Early 20s. Yeah. So Freo have a second rounder, I think, in this. I they think. do, yep. So what if you packaged up two second rounders? How far up do you get? Do you get to 10 or do you, do you still in the teens? Still in the teens, I think you would be. Yeah. But, you know, this is going to be the dilemma for Fremantle with Liam Henry. We know that there's going to be some interest from other clubs. Yeah. And that interest could be four years. It could be five years. To Fremantle, based on what they've seen so far, would you be prepared to go to five years for Liam Henry? I'd be prepared. I reckon Liam Henry, I love what he's done, and I'm really pleased for him because he was lagging behind the other two kids from that draft, which is Sarong and Young, and now we're seeing what he can do. To me, though, he's not necessarily a must-keep. If he wanted to go... Mm. If Colin Young wanted to shift him, and Colin Young has wanted to shift players from Fremantle before for whatever his reasons are. And he hasn't signed. So clearly, you know, they're, they're, they have to be looking at other clubs. He's, he's right assessing now. his options. There's yeah. no doubt about that. He's, he's a he's a like to keep rather than a must keep for me for Fremantle. I, w- I want another big inside mid with a bit of athletic dynamism about him. You know, someone who can explode away, someone that can give them something a bit different, someone who can make an impact early in games so we don't see this thing you've been talking about for weeks now, which is they go out there, get punched in the face, and mm. then they decide how to solve the problem. That's a that's a problem for Freo, I think. Yeah, I'd like to see the end of the year on um, Liam Henry. If he can do this for the next eight rounds, yep. then I think, you know, you might be willing to up the contract a bit, maybe give four years. But he does become now the player with the currency. At yeah. Fremantle, the only one, unless you want to do a deal on Sean Darcy, which the club doesn't want to do, and you wouldn't do because he was good on the weekend against Tim English. Outside of that, there's just no obvious play that I can see that they're willing to throw up that's going to get you back into this draft. Yeah, there's no one you want to lose, I don't think. You know, like if you'd gone last year and they'd have taken a different view of Griffin Logue, you maybe look at Brennan Cox wants to go home to Adelaide mm-hmm. probably for a top-end pick and you keep Griffin Logue and Griffin Logue and Alex Pierce become your two power defenders and you pay Griffin Logue a lot more money. But um, they went the other way and fair enough. Like Brennan Cox was in the All-Australian squad last year. So I'd say... What, one, what, what would you be saying to Will Brodie at the moment if you were his manager? Uh, I think if you're not in the team by the end of the year, you're looking around. Yeah. I think he's got... He's contracted. I yeah, think. they'll just give him a three-year contract. So... 
yeah, they they the good thing about that is they control the trade. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you've got to have a look around, don't you? He's shown he can play. Yeah. So I think if you're him, you ask the honest question of Justin Lomu: Am I in the plans? Can you see me playing with these other players? And get your answer and, and make a decision based on that because they still have Erasmus there as cover that can come in and spend more time on the inside. Just one last one before I let you go. They don't play finals, do they? No, unlikely. Yeah. yeah. There's more than two losses out there, I think, the way they're playing. Yeah. Yeah. They are middle of the road team and that's probably where they deserve to finish right now. And Carlton come with renewed enthusiasm. They're actually moving the ball. Their midfielder was pretty powerful on the weekend. And I was listening to Owies on the breakfast with the boys, all about selflessness. You know, there's been a few teams across time that based on just saying that word, have actually had success. You go back to Melbourne's premiership success, very selfless. You go back to Richmond as well. I think that was some of the language that they were actually using through that period. So have they turned the corner? We're going to find out a bit more this week. Paul Hazelby, one half of the run home with Hayes and Marto on SENWA 3pm weekdays. We can't let you go, Hayes, without just <laughs> sending you out with this one. Must have been round one, Duff. Uh, hadn't kicked a goal all season. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about round six, Hayes. It was somewhere around there. But you've never kicked a bigger goal on that one. What, that's what I will say. All right. What do you think of what Hayes had to say? You can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. And we'll get to those texts in the back half of the show. We'll take a break. Yes, welcome back to the show. After the news, we're going to be talking to West Coast legend Josh Kennedy about the Eagles' much better performance against St Kilda on the weekend, an eight-point loss. You can send through your questions for Josh if you want to on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line later in the show on 13 12 55. First, the news, and then Josh Kennedy. Marrick gets it out to Gaff, gets it out to Long. Somehow a slap on goal. That is the goal of the season for the Eagles. That is the goal of the season for the Eagles. I'll repeat it. Brilliant goal there by Noah Long. He had three players around him. Somehow I was just saying he got out of trouble, let alone he put it onto his right boot. I don't care. And from the tightest of angles, has kicked an absolute pearler. Yes, Noah Long's great goal on the weekend against St Kilda, of course, early in the game. The West Coast kids came to play. means two things. One, that they played a lot better. And two, we've run out of Josh Kennedy goals to play uh, ahead of his interview with us. But Josh Kennedy joins us on mornings every Tuesday, thanks to New Farm Galaxy, for flexible, broad leaf weed control. You choose New Farm Galaxy. Josh, West Coast legend, of course, AFL Life member, and he's with us. Welcome, Josh. Good morning, mate. How are you going? I'm all right. I'm tipping you're a bit better than you've been for most of the year. Are you a bit more up and about than you've been? 
I am. No, it's been a fantastic weekend. Obviously, didn't get the four points, which is obviously what you play for. But, you know, talking of last week and, and talking about effort and talking about a response, we definitely saw that from uh, the West Coast Eagles. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of the boys to, to have a crack like that. And, yeah, just didn't get the four points. But, you know, showed a lot of spirit in the way they came about off, off, off a really big loss last week. Mate, I'm going to ask, I'm asking all my guests this morning this question because I'm trying to get a feel for the spirit of Australia. Johnny Bairstow stumping in the Ashes Test at Lords. Fair or unfair? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because they talk about yeah, being a dead ball once the wiki's got it. And um, they showed those replays of him previously just walking straight out. And obviously, yeah, Australia must have clicked onto it. So. Um, Wiki's grabbed it and uh, Kerry's all grabbed it and chucked it before he's walked out and yeah, timing-wise. So, I don't know. Um, I think it was um, it was something that they spotted. They saw a little gap in, I suppose, uh, I suppose a situation like that and they went to take an opportunity to take it and they took it. Yep. I'm saying fair, mate. I reckon uh, maybe that's my Australian bias showing through, but if the umpire yeah. the umpire determines whether it's within the rules, it was within the rules, so therefore it's fair. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah. West Coast were much better. What changed? Uh, mate, well, just the effort. Well, the pressure is probably a big one. Um, you talk about tackles and, you know, led by Luke Shuey, um, especially in that first term. Yeah, he, he's, he's shown great leadership in coming back, I suppose, in the response from the biggest loss in, um, you know, club's history and um, to stand up and, 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 and set the tone with, with those tackles. I think we won 92 to 72. So majority of the boys were on around the football, which... Um, Causes a lot more, I suppose, yeah, pressure on opposition to be able to win that football and get it forward. Now, it was, yeah, it was great to see. It started with the pressure, but the control of the footy that they had, you know, which they haven't had, um, you know, for a long time and um, obviously had a lot of marks. So they were able to use the ball and move it around um, in a way that they, they want to. And um, obviously their handballs have been up this year with, with breaking those lines. So... Inside 50s is, is not really great. They still didn't get 40 um, compared to the 50, but um, being efficient in the way they went forward and, and taking those marks, it was um, it was great just to see the I suppose the, the older boys from you know Luke Shuey to Barras, um, Dugo playing his 150th. Um, you know those boys standing up I suppose for the club and and also Bunga being back, but then also having um, you know the younger players in Jinby. Um, Ryan Mag, Elijah Stewart and um, Wong, you know, fantastic goal we just heard at the start there. It's um, it's pretty exciting watching those guys, I suppose, um, come and do those things on the field. And uh, we've been screaming for that all year. And uh, it's, it's, it's really positive, I think, from seeing little moments like that. Yeah, all you need to see is some green shoots on the West Coast this year. And that's what we saw on the weekend. It changes the mood around the club significantly. Did they pursue a simpler game plan, do you think? just um, I heard something that Shannon Hearn said after the game where he said, don't try and solve all of our problems, just solve a few and uh, and be serious about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I suppose you can over overcomplicate um, a lot of things that are going on. And, and once you simplify it in a way where, um, you know, for, for the players, um, it, it can be quite can be quite simple and easy to, to execute. So um, it looked like they just wanted to um, create pressure on the ball um, and be around in numbers, which they were able to, able to do. Um, work rate, obviously, from that and getting to contests has, has obviously jumped up a bit. Um, and then be able to control the footy and move it around in a, in a way where the speed of the foot can, you know, kind of catch 
their defence off guard. So um, I reckon they would have had, like you said, a couple of pointers that they wanted to come out this game and bring that effort um, and bring that pressure um, and everything kind of took care of itself. And um, then, you know, you just rely on opportunity and, and a bit of talent. And we saw, we saw a lot of talent um, kind of open up on the weekend. A lot to be said for intent, isn't there? And there was a clear statement of intent yeah. from the first bounce the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, massive, massive. And it was always going to be the interesting thing this week and um, from, you know, uh, the higher hierarchy of the club to the coaches to the players all, you know, saying we will respond, we will respond. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, that's something that you just say. Um, but it was great to see, you know, right from the word go in that first quarter, um, that pressure was in, on, that intent you talk about, the effort was there. Um, and we really knew that, that the boys came to play, which is um, which was great. Question from Lisa in Allenbrook, Josh. Uh, can you please ask JK what he thought of Elijah Hewitt's celebration after he kicked the goal? And also <laughs> Noah Long's absolute pearler of a goal. Elijah Hewitt can do a bit of celebrating. He can. So it was, um, yeah, it's quite interesting. I think, I think with your first first goal and seeing the kids, um, how excited they can get, especially in a crowd. And, um, you know, for Elijah Hewitt to kick his first and Jack Williams as well and to see all the boys get around, I think it was pretty... Pretty cool, and but you know, obviously Elijah um, probably took off uh, pretty quick and was, was given a fair bit. But you know, that goal he did keep with that snap, that second one, because um, seeing with pace just bust through, come around that pack, obviously um, hit, hit the ball um, so hard that obviously came throughout the other end by himself. And um, oh, I don't know, I, I'm all for it. You know, so, so it's, I suppose the fans um, and you know, being an ex-player and, and playing up forward, you do realise how much. Um, the fans do give you when you're out there, when you are kicking goals. And, um, you know, they haven't had much this year. So to see a young, a young fella come through and kick, kick some good goals, kick, kick, kick his first goal and, and celebrate that, I think it's all right. But if he was consistently doing that every week, you might tell him to pull up a little bit. But I think it was great. No, nah, it generates some joy and energy. That's fantastic. And that, that's, yeah. that second yeah. goal, you can't teach that. You can't teach a young player nah. how to identify the hole. <laughs> Around you know in and around a stoppage that that was a special goal. I'm I'm happy to yep. go on the record in 2023 and say Elijah Hewitt will be a better player than Ruben Jinby. Ruben Jinby is Ooh, is a very good player. I think Elijah <laughs> yeah. Hewitt will have X factor, and I and I think if he stays that, on track, yeah. I reckon he's going to be a special player. Yeah, well, that stoppage, you know, you, you, you break it down. Like from him to start on the opposite side of his opposition, so he had um, obviously he was getting a little bit blocked and obviously one-on-one as the ball went up. But <clears throat> to move his way to the other side, the goal side, to then see which way the ball was travelling and the momentum of, I suppose, that stoppage, being able to run around everyone with speed and then, and, and hit it pretty clean, it was um, it's pretty cool to see. It's reminiscent of your goal against Geelong when Nick Natnui laid it in your lap in the dying stages in 2020, I think it was, Josh. A bit of, bit, bit of special uh, stoppage roving. Um, well, I think that was a bit of luck, more than skill. <laughs> um, Ryan Marrick. Okay, so he's, he's ended up with, I think, 13 or 14 disposals. He's kicked a couple of goals. But how clean he was before halftime, I think that was a, um, a really good sign for West Coast. Yeah, I think we've seen that with, with a lot of our kids who have come through, you know, from Noah Long um, to Hewitt to Jimby um, and now Marek, you know, the way they are able to stand up in a contest, not get pushed over, um, being clean, um, whether it's a ground ball or whether it's, you know, off hands in a mark. So it's been been great to see him and obviously he's omitted um, and uh, obviously being dropped but then getting back in due to obviously TK and 
And look, Edward's getting getting pulled out. So, you know, you talk about mindset on how you're feeling, you know. Just come to a club, you're playing VFL. All of a sudden, you're, you're playing AFL a couple of weeks. You dropped for the first time. You know, the emotions are going through on the roller coaster. But then just to get the call up late, come back in, you know, kick obviously the first goal again, I'm pretty sure it was, and, and kick a couple for the day and, and have an impact, you know, it, it's great to see. Um, but, yeah, he definitely is clean. And I think a lot of our kids this year have been, been pretty clean, which is, um, which is a great start and great to see. It's a difficult one for you to answer because you played uh, with both these guys. They've been warriors for the club and truly great players and they were great on Sunday. But how do you, as a list manager, assess Luke Shuey and Shannon Hearn between now and the end of the season? How do you decide whether they go on or not? Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's one looking at, um, I suppose, how you want the list set up next year um, from one youth and experience. Um You'd be talking. They'd be talking a lot with the boys as well. They'd be talking a lot with Bunger and, and Luke on one whether they want to go on, um, whether they can go on during the year, whether it's you know play X amount of games or whether it's you know um, whatever whatever it is, do a bit more coaching on the side and probably um, helping a lot of the younger kids. So there's there's multiple conversations that will probably go on, but um, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come down a bit on on which way the club want the list and how they want to, um, I suppose, progress the next two or three years. And there's a lot of external noise on, on people saying they should do this and to this, but, you know, um, you know they're going to have to make a decision on, on whether those boys hang around and, and, and everything always comes to an end. It came to an end with me, even though you don't want it. Um, sometimes you do, but, yeah, it's. I think that the conversations will be starting um, and, you know, whether Luke Shu, I think he has, you know, a little bit more to give, um, and especially playing on. Um, and Bunger, you know, you're able to see him, the way he played on the weekend. Now, is he impeding someone's spot uh, for next year, a young kid coming through? Um, uh, I'm not too sure. And does Bunger want to play on next year after a year like what's happened this year? So conversations will happen and, and we'll see how it all pans out. It's one thing that doesn't tend to happen in footy, Josh, and that's when you pick a player to go on when maybe he'll play 10, 11, 12 or 13 of the 22 games. If you look at um, Luke, I think Luke is now up to 7 to 15 and Shannon's up to about 9 to 15. Could you see a situation where the club might say, okay, we're only going to get 12 or 13 games out of you, but if they're 12 or 13 good games that can help steady the ship for us, that is worth doing? Or do you think they need to be able to play and recover and play again most games to be viable? Um, no, it's interesting. I, I think that that 13 to 17 kind of game mark for a lot of older players is is starting to be a bit of a trend that, that happens, you know, especially with guys who are older and have injuries. So um, if, if the club see value in, in them getting through those games and possibly playing maybe a little bit more, um, then yeah, and the experience that they have on the field, um, the guidance they have during the week. Um, but both those players and a lot of the older players have been in the same position. They don't want to be just hanging on um, and feeling you know sore and um, worrying about injury and, and and I suppose holding back a young kid that could be getting experience. So uh, there's a few factors in all that. But um, but yeah, the 13 to 17 game mark seems to be where a lot of clubs settle with. Um, with managing older players. A kid that's played the last couple of weeks, I wasn't sure he should have played against Sydney. He did a bit on the weekend, but tell us a bit about him. Jack Williams, forward ruck. Um, he's a big lump of a kid. He's nearly 200 centimetres. He moves well. He did some really nice things in intra-club games in the pre-season before he got the ruptured spleen. What can you tell us yep. about him? 
Oh, mate, uh, since he ever came through the doors, you know, his work rate has always been, um, you know, something on field that, um, that, that stands out. So um, not necessarily getting the touches, not necessarily getting the marks, not necessarily getting the goals, but his effort and work rate is something that has always been there, which is great to see. And during pre-season or during training, you always seem just running around and trying to get to as many contests. And over time, you know, that helps with fitness and he'll get a little bit smarter in that sense. Um, and the more contests that he can put himself into, um, the better he'll be. And uh, it's great to see him get an opportunity um, and, and, and be able to play, especially after, I suppose, a bit of pre-season, doing pretty well. But then, yeah, that ruptured spleen and, and coming back through that. So, um yeah, he's one to watch. The, the work rate thing is, is a hard thing, I think, uh, to teach young kids. And you, you see him come in and um, you try and push him to, to work harder, whereas he's, he has that. And I, I feel like he'll always have that. Um, and now it's about just getting a bit fitter, getting a bit stronger and getting a little bit smarter in the way he, he has his running patterns. Um, and that's going to open up a lot more contests for him to be involved with. And, yeah, um, it's pretty exciting. Jamie Cripps has always been underrated outside the four walls of West Coast. Tell us what he brings and what you saw him bring on the weekend. Yeah, well, uh, he's always just, he's always the fittest out of the crew, and um, his position, I suppose, at half forward, being able to get up and back, um, which not many people can do that in terms of um, repeat speed. Um, so from offense to defense, um, he does pretty well. He he opens up a lot of the open side of play, and um, he's able to drag you know opponents out of the way just purely. Be, the way he runs. So um, a lot of people don't really see that. They just look at touches and goals and um, uh, things like that. And he's one player that I suppose for us has been very important over, over the last few years in the way he plays that half forward role. Um, and being able to, one, get up and defend and be a release player for our defenders and, and be helping in transition, but um, also be able to work back and, and kick goals, which is, which is a hard thing to do. Josh, I'm a, uh... I'm hoping, I've got my fingers crossed for them this weekend, they go to Brisbane to play the Lions at the Gabba, which is a big, big ask. But uh, fingers crossed we see another strong competitive effort and we're back here saying good things again next Tuesday. Hopefully, mate. That'll be good. Josh Kennedy, of course, he joins us every Tuesday morning thanks to New Farm Galaxy. New Farm Galaxy, the flexible tank mix partner to control broadleaf Weed. What do you think about what Josh has had to say? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. You can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu. Shuey wins the centre clearance. And out comes Elijah Shuey in the right full forward pocket and takes a mark and we'll go back and have a shot on goal. Hewitt's drop punt looks good off the boot. The crowd behind the goal like it. And so do his fellow players as they absolutely beeline him to congratulate Elijah Hewitt. And they are up. Look at this. It's party time for the Eagles. Party time for the Eagles. Elijah Hewitt's first goal in AFL footy, of course, against St Kilda last weekend in the second quarter in that eight-point loss. He's a very exciting young player. We're going to be talking to Vel Febo soon about Wimbledon. Of course, it got underway last night. There was a big win for uh, Australian Jordan Thompson. He set up a second-round meeting with Novak Djokovic. But first, let's get some news out of the way.
And she's through in straight sets against the world number 34, Julian. 6-1-6-3 for Igor Sviontek. Yes, one of the favourites at Wimbledon, Igis Viontek, of course, making her way through to the second round. Wimbledon got underway overnight on the Gentile lawn out there in England. Beautiful grass courts. And to talk about the first round matches that got out of the way last night, we have Val Febo from Stan Sports. He joins us on the show. Welcome, Val. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. You had a late night, I presume? Yeah, it was fairly late. Um, always is when Wimbledon rolls around. It's the best time of the year. It really is. Um, you know, they are uh, the, the grass is always wonderful to see on day one, and and you know, it's the best form of tennis because it incorporates something um, for everybody. There's a lot of volleying. There's a lot of aggressive shots. It's got something for the big servers. It's got something for the rallyers. You know, it, it is it is truly the best form of tennis, and it's so good to watch. So yeah, really enjoyable start to the tournament. Jordan Thompson, big win for him coming from two sets to love down. Yeah, it was a massive win for him. Um, you know, Jordan Thompson and five setters, they generally go hand in hand, but a lot of the time he finds himself on the wrong end of them. But last night against Brandon Nakashima, who made the fourth round last year, lost to Nick Kyrgios um, in that contest. And, um, and Tomo managed to come over the top of him, which is a massive result considering he's playing some really good tennis on grass. He made his second career final in um, in the Netherlands a couple of weeks ago and then had a tough loss to Feliciano Lopez in his, uh, in his Swan Song tournament last week in Mallorca. But um, he's a very good grass court player and I think a lot of people forget that. But Tomo is one of, um, he's one of Australia's better prospects on the green stuff. And um, it's a massive result for him. Obviously now things get a lot tougher with the matchup against Novak Djokovic incoming, but it is really a monumental result for him just to get his confidence up because he's been there about this year but hasn't been able to hasn't been able to really crack in. And you know he beat Stefanos Tsitsipas in um, in Indian Wells, but then since then it's been it's been really up and down for him. So I think this is a massive result for Thompson leading into the second half of the year. What about other Australians uh, in play? Yeah, uh, Alexander Vukic had a massive win last night, so he's through um, to the second round at Wimbledon for the first time, which which is a really good result. You know, he's battled really hard the last few years. Um, you know, the COVID years sort of stunted his development a little bit in terms of, you know, where he could put his ranking. But he's inside the top 100 now. He's got direct entry into Wimbledon. So this is a huge result for him, and he moves on uh, with a fourth set win. Storm Hunter, unfortunately, she's gone out. Um, she lost to Xin Yu Wang last night. So really disappointing for her, but a great result that she qualified and managed to get her way through into the main draw. She's playing some really good singles tennis at the moment on top of her doubles. So she's just going from strength to strength. And then we've also got the likes of Alex Demon all coming up tonight. We know what Demon can do. Um, uh, you know, he made the fourth round last year. He's looking to go one better this year. It was a tough loss for him. In 2022, losing to um, Christian Garin from two sets to love up. He looked the goods. It looked like he was going through to a second career Grand Slam quarterfinal. So fingers crossed he can go one better or even further this year because his grass court prowess, he's sensational on the surface. He made the final at Queen's a couple of weeks ago, including a win over Holger Runa. Um, and, and Alcaraz didn't belt him. So it was, um, it was a really solid performance. Max Purcell went out last night as well. Um, so that was a disappointing result for him. But he's coming up against the world number seven in Andre Rublev. So that's never easy. Any other Aussies in action tonight? Any other games we should keep an eye out for, Val? I think Carlos 
Alcaraz is one that we should definitely be keeping an eye out for. It's, his, uh, it's another Wimbledon campaign for him. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of players out there that um, would love to be in his position right now. The Aussies, um, Demon, he, he's playing. Um, there's not too many others around, but, um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing what's, uh, what takes place over the next few days because the first rounds can often go a long way to shaping the tournament. Who's your tip? It's a hard one. It's hard to go past Djokovic. He's not lost. I think it's uh, 2,851 days or something like that since he last lost at the All England Club back to Thomas Burdich in, uh, in 2017. So it's very hard to go past him uh, equaling Roger Federer's record for eight Wimbledon titles. And then um, on the women's side, it's a lot more open. I think Igor Fiontek, as you played off the top there, um, you know, she's in really good form after winning the French Open, but grass has always been a little bit of uh, kryptonite for us. So I'm not sure what she's going to be able to do, but Arena Sabalenka, Jessica Pagula, who was in trouble last night, she got through, But um, and then also uh, the likes of Anjabur and Alina Rybakina. I think those are the five um, that are really going to contest the women's, uh, the, the women's title. But I think Iga at the moment would be my favourite. Val Febo, you can keep track of Val's stuff with Stan Sports and Wide World of Sports, and he'll keep us updated on Wimbledon through the two weeks at the All England Club. Thanks for joining us, Val. No worries. Have a great day, mate. Val Febo, we'll be back with some of your text messages that have come through on the Temper at Bedshed text line after the break. Yes, thanks to Izuzu Utes. We are back here out at Optus Stadium. Remember, you can live your own way in the Izuzu D-Max. Coming in to the end of the show, and mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA, and got Julian Marcus with me now, and we're going to get through a few of your texts that have come through on the Temper at Bedshed text line. Julian, welcome. Morning, Duff. It's been an action-packed show, hasn't it? Yeah, been good. Been busy. Been busy. It's been fantastic. I must admit, while you've been uh, chatting, I've had a quick little glance over at uh, well, what's left of Twitter because uh, the Big Bash fixture is due to land in the next 24 hours from what we've seen, and I am fascinated to see if anybody, and I mean anybody, can knock off the Perth Scorchers this season. Haven't they been a, an absolute juggernaut over the last couple of years? But I must admit, it's going to be weird not seeing Cam Brancroft in the Orange this season. He's going to the Sydney Thunder. That's going to look really bizarre. Yeah, well, they've always been able to manage their salary cap pretty well between the state program and the Big Bash program being a one-team franchise, one-team town, I guess. That's helped them, I think. And also their isolation has helped them. But they were never going to be able to keep them all. They have lost a few in the past. But Cameron Bancroft will be a big loss, I think. Absolutely. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see the fixture drop in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, apparently. Uh, they've already said that they're going to have a night game on Boxing Night at the SCG, the Stars and the the Sixers. So Boxing Day night has a big bash game, which is fantastic, of course. And hopefully uh, we see another one over in Perth too, because that's been a fantastic day of cricket, the way that's been able to roll on in the past. But let, let's get to some of the texts that have come through throughout the morning. Uh, got Matt's text through. Duff, you are dreaming if you think Henry is worth a pick in the low 20s. Struggles to get a game out of contract, averages seven disposals and a goal every three games. Will we lucky to get an end of second rounder? Has had 33 and 32 the last week. He was good the week before that as well. I think if Liam Henry plays the way he's been playing in the last three weeks until the end of the season, I think a pick in the early 20s will be in the offing for Fremantle if he decided to go. 
Let's have a look as well. So the Temper and Bedshed text line. Uh, Lisa has text three, morning Duff and team. Nathan Fife has been a great player, dual Brownlow medalist and club best and fairest. With all the injuries he's endured over the years and now fractured foot with his other foot, I think it's time for Fifey to start listening to his broken body. There comes a day when a player has to seriously weigh up whether it's worth going on and putting more strain in. I find this really interesting, Duff, that you've got two very similar stories with two champions of the game in WA. You've got Nick Nat with the Eagles and you've got Nate Fife, Nat Fife with the Dockers. Uh, I guess my question to you is in 2024, will we see either or both of them on the field? I don't think we'll see Nick Natanui. I think he's coming off a major rehab from major surgery. He hasn't played this year, only played eight times last year. I think Fife, it's worth taking one roll of the dice, but I think it's how they go about it with Fife. One, don't play him half fit. Don't play him banged up. Rest him for the rest of the season. Get him right. Get three or four kilos off him. He needs to be lighter. He needs to be more athletically dynamic and give it one last roll of the dice. And if it doesn't work, you have to accept that that two-year deal was a bad deal. That's how. But I a lot of it comes down to, as well, the way that he plays with the, those hard contested ball gets. Yeah. At this point, can you really change the way he plays? I don't know, do you stick him in the forward line and just keep him out of danger to try and you know, protect that body? Because just the way you think about it, the way that he has played his whole career, yeah. you, you can try that all your life, but it's very hard not to get banged up. No, you're right. A player like Scott Pendlebury knows where space is, and Nathan Fife is always around contact, and that's just the way he's played. Uh, more than half of his um, more than half of his possessions over the course of his career in contest. That's what he's been. He's been a contested ball beast, but it, it's a very tough way to make a living. We'll take a break. And we'll be back to wrap up the show after the break. Welcome back to the show. We're just coming into the home stretch now. And we're going to get through a few more of your texts sent through on the temperate bedshed text line. Julian. One's come from Noddy and this makes an interesting point. Simon Lloyd, the Cats GM of football, said he'd like to eventually become a CEO at an AFL club. Be a great succession plan for the Eagles. Should the Eagles be speaking with Simon? Is there smoke or fire there potentially? I mean, it'd be every day of the week. Every day of the week. Simon Lloyd was at Fremantle. He was very highly regarded at Fremantle. And you know what he brings, Julian? And this is what is important at West Coast. Some clubs need a strong business CEO. West Coast needs a strong footy CEO. And the reason I say that is because West Coast is such a big club that if the footy is right, the rest of the business pretty much takes care of itself. And uh, what has happened to them over the last couple of years is the footy's gone awry. Um, so therefore, it's they've been compromised because of that. Trevor Nisbet was a strong football CEO. He was a football manager before he became a CEO. Simon Lloyd, I think, would be a perfect fit for West Coast if he feels like he's ready. He lives. He's lived in Perth. He likes it here. I think that would be that's a great shout. Do you think that that will happen by the end of 2024? I think. I would be surprised if Trevor Nisbet is still there in 2024. His contract runs out at at the end of 2024, but I suspect that might come forward a little bit. I think Trevor is trying to make sure that everything's in order for his departure. Now, whether that takes until the end of this year or the middle of next year, but I think um, it'll be a little bit before the end of 2024. They'll treat him respectfully, I think, on the way out, but I suspect his time is coming to an end. Uh, Hi, Duff. Uh, This has come from David from Sterling. Uh, He wanted uh, to know why Trevor Nisbet won't ask for a priority pick. Why is the AFL so against helping the club out of this hole? Uh, What is one pick really going to change in the short term? 2018 
is a distant memory. Well, because they won a flag in 2018, clearly what the AFL tries to do is it tries to give supporters hope and they feel that West Coast have had hope in recent seasons. Don't forget they played finals in 2020. So I think they won't get a priority pick this year. I think the Eagles knew that um, and that's why they're not asking. They're going to try and get out of this hole on their own. And as we saw on the weekend, there are some green shoots there. If heaven forbid... 2024 was a similar story for the Eagles. Would they step in then? I think different matter then. I think it would certainly be worth West Coast asking the question of the AFL then. Uh, this is an interesting one that's come through on the the temporary bedshed text line uh, from Luke. Duff, around the water coolers at work yesterday, given the excitement about Hewitt, Long and Jinby, together with Frio's drop-off, I heard many asking... Who's closer to their next flag, West Coast or, I guess, in the Frio's case, their first flag? Yeah, it's a good question, Luke. And Luke is often uh, slightly cheeky with the questions he asks <laughs> and trying to stir the pot a little bit. Just to put this in context, Luke, like we're really excited about what we saw from Elijah Hewitt. He had 11 disposals and kicked two goals on the weekend. Matt Johnson, who's been playing as a one of the primary midfielders at, at Fremantle this year and was in at the centre clearances when the whips cracked in that game against the Doggies on the weekend. Matthew Johnson hasn't been south of 11 disposals for about six or seven weeks now. So, um, you know, Matt Johnson, Jai Amis, 29 goals in 14 games. Um, Neil Erasmus starting to be shuffled into the midfield. Don't forget that Fremantle has a lot of talent. The fact that the expectation was that they would play finals... And they, and they don't look likely to. Let's not forget that West Coast have lost 13 games in a row. And that one on the weekend was the first one they've lost by less than 40 points. And just one more quick one before we head off for the day. I like this one from Noddy. Crystal Ball Tuesdays, who'll be the better player at the end of their career, Jamara Ugal-Hagen or Jai Amos? I think they'll both be super players. I think that they are potentially... Well, I think Amos is a potential Coleman medalist, but Jeepers, what I saw of Jamari Ugal-Hagen on the weekend, what is happening, Julian, is that Amos is absolutely playing like a number eight draft pick. Really exciting. But Jamari Ewell-Hagel is absolutely playing like a number one draft pick. And he is really exciting. Like the marks he took, his ability to be athletic at ground level as well. He's a good kick at goal. Um, If you lined them both up and I was a list manager, I'd be really happy to take either one. But I would take Jamari Ewell-Hagel ahead of Jai Amos if if I was paying the same money for both. What do you think? Absolutely agree. As much as I love Amos, and I agree with the point that over here he doesn't get the love he deserves in Melbourne especially, but Eugle Hagen, he is a generational talent. Yeah, those screamers, um, hopefully, if Jai Amos has taken them in a year or two, I reckon Fremantle might get that flag. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your help, Julian, on the show today. Thanks for Justin out there. This has been Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA, and we'll be back again to speak to you tomorrow.